fate favors the bold. Investigating the myths that mark legacies and the legacies that make myths. Welcome to my first podcast episode. This is Fate Favors the Bold and I am thrilled to be chatting, to be on here, to be presenting this show that has been such a part of my psyche for the longest time. Um, I am speaking to you guys on my birthday, January 6th. I am a Capricorn sun and a first house stellium. I'm a Capricorn rising, Mercury, Jupiter, Neptune, and a couple asteroids in there. Um, So it felt fitting to release this episode on my birthday, right? (laughs) On my solar return, Capricorn season. I'm so excited. Capricorn season also evokes this energy of getting shit done, right? It's cardinal earth and what do cardinal signs do? They want to start, they want to start off strong and go forth with their fiery energy, right? (laughs) Cardinal earth, you know, is a little bit more grounded, which is why Capricorns have that natural upward resilience. That's why the sign is known for its goats. Um, Technically, the glyph is like a sea goat. So I guess the idea is that the goat goes from swimming in the water, like how badass is that, to climbing up the mountain. And it feels very much like the energy of Capricorn, right? Unlike some of their other cardinal sign friends, Capricorn has that natural resilience um, that helps the cardinal energy, right? Cardinal energy burns out really quickly, but not Capricorn. And that's why I'm so proud to be one. (laughs) And yes, we are talking about astrology here, but this podcast is called Fate Favors the Bold. This is the show where I'm blending mythology and philosophy and applying it to modern life and to learning how we can live in a way that really nourishes our soul, that really creates this spellbinding, incredible legacy that has always meant to be, right? Um, I mean, we say all the time, you know, it's written in the stars. And what does that mean? It's talking about how our natal chart and how astrology is a huge predictor of fate and of legacy which I totally believe in love, right? As a witch who uses astrology a lot in my practice and a coach, right? In my work with my clients. Um, But we're also talking about ways that we can apply these ancient stories, these ancient ideas, and use them in our modern world to get more done and to get the stuff that we know we need to accomplish accomplished. So let's talk a little bit about one of my favorite myths, a myth that has marked my life, a myth that has played out for me so much in my younger years and strangely enough now as well. Um, I am a devotee of Hades. I am a high priestess of Hades, um, which to me really means that I serve him highly. I 
work with him constantly he is the only masculine deity that i work with he's really the main deity that i work with and serve um and i just consider my life's work to be a continuation of his themes right um so i since i have this really deep connection to him um this myth that i will tell you next the first myth that i will present to you in this podcast um is the myth that lives in my psyche lives in my life and has really marked my experience up to this point the myth of hades and persephone king hades is a son of Kronos and rhea and he lives all alone in his underworld palace his palace though is really really big and it's a little bit too much space for him it is beautiful though it has these obsidian walls super glossy and black gold trim everywhere casinos <laughs> silk sheets banquet halls bars smoky lounges it's kind of the place to be not gonna lie but nobody ever comes and visits him because it's also in the realm of the dead and the immortal gods don't really want to spend their time in a place that's supposedly so bleak and glum and purple and gray. They are not really interested in going into the underworld. Um, maybe another reason why the immortal deathless gods are not that interested in Hades's realm is that a lot of the titans and the monsters that they basically conquered in the Titanomachy, the Titan versus Olympian War, are now imprisoned in the underworld, which makes the place just as a whole not an interesting place to be, not a fun place to be for the gods like Dionysus and Zeus and Apollo, who are really interested in the mortal realm, what they're doing, what's going on in the realm of the living. But Hades does have a job to do, after all. He's not just hanging out in his smoky dungeons all the time. I mean, he is a lot of the time, to be honest. But <laughs> he has a job to do. He is here to help the souls that are coming into his realm transition into being dead, as well as release the souls that are ready to incarnate. He is the CEO of the underworld. He is the king. He has all of these people that he rules over, all of these souls, all of these fates of mortals that he rules over, that he, in a way, controls and has dominion over. This job is really important because if there wasn't somebody to receive the mortals after we all die, then there would be no life cycle at all. There would be no cycle of legacy. There would be no cycle of fate. There would be nothing. There wouldn't even be gods. So Hades knows that his job is very, very important. His job is the all-receiver, the receiver of all who have lived and who have died on the earth. He also acts as a little bit of a bridge to the fates or the mirai. 
the fates are these three sisters who are very primordial and don't really care too too much about what's happening in the mortal realm right they also have a job like hades and their one job is to create the threads of fate and to create each and every single mortal's specific lifespan now hades acts as a bridge between the mortal realm and the realm of the gods with these primordial goddesses the morai and so sometimes his role is to communicate on behalf of mortals or communicate even on behalf of other gods who have questions about what people's fates are or when people are dying or how long you can expect a beloved mortal of a deity to live. (laughs) If we know these gods at all, we know that they're fascinated with the mortal realm. They love us. They're so interested in what we're doing. And a lot of the times they take favor on us and they start betting on us. They start saying, damn, that mortal is really cool and reminds me of myself or reminds me of my child or my lover or somebody that I just have this connection to. And so sometimes Hades has to act as the bridge between the fate and the gods and himself and everybody, right? Um, So because of this, he knows everybody's fates. He knows how to live a good mortal life. He's seen so many mortals come in and out of the underworld. He's seen so many reincarnations, so many regrets. He really knows how to be alive, honestly. And it's funny because he's the <laughs> he's the king of the dead. And sometimes we see him as this gloomy person, which he's not, you know? He is the only deity that understands death and mortality to the extent that he just knows how to live a good mortal life. This is why he's known as Good Counselor as well. That's one of the the names that Hades has been ascribed to, Good Counselor. And sometimes in ancient Greece, they would call him by that name rather than the name of Hades because they were afraid if they said Hades, they would be transported to that realm. So instead, they called him Alebolus, the Good Counselor. Hades is single. He has no love prospects, even though he's a really cool guy with a really cool house living in a really cool place, right? No love prospects because nobody wants to go into the underworld. Nobody wants to see all the slain titans imprisoned, complaining, not happy. Nobody wants to see all the dead mortals, maybe even their consorts or beloved mortals that had died and gone to the underworld none of the gods want to get anywhere near that okay and then hades obviously has this connotation with being gloomy with being not a fun guy being immovable being so mean and stoic that nothing will ever make him smile so none of the gods are really that interested in him So Hades has something called the Helm of Invisibility. And one day he is going to the earth to survey the land and he puts on his Helm of Invisibility. So not even the gods can see him when he leaves the underworld. It's a little bit of a security issue. It's kind of like, (laughs) I guess it's kind of like when the king travels or when the president like goes somewhere and you can't really communicate about like where he's going or where he's flying because 
kind of a security problem. So that's why Hades has this helm of invisibility. It's the same thing. And he actually used it in the Titanomachy and the Titan War, um, which is how he obtained it in the first place. But now he uses it to go and survey his land to check out the different corners of the underworlds and the different entrances and the different rivers of the underworld that also let out into waterways on Earth. As he was surveying the land, he came across this amazing, beautiful flower field in modern-day Sicily. And this is where he noticed a goddess picking flowers in the vast meadow. He noticed that she looked a little bit afraid and was always constantly looking over her shoulder, always was constantly calling for her maidens or her friends. And she was even wearing clothes that looked like they belonged to a child, even though she was like a full ass grown goddess adult, right? <laughs> and she was like wearing these frilly little child's clothes and he was like, what is happening here? I'm so confused. So he noticed her beauty. He noticed how fearful and confused that she looked even in her own domain. And he noticed her fate. And he said to himself, well, I think I could help her. I am also somebody who keeps to myself, who doesn't really see any of the other gods, just like this goddess. Maybe we would get along. Maybe I could teach her how to break free. Maybe I could give her the strength that I have. And maybe she would like the vast meadows in the underworld. Maybe she would like to come and live in the underworld, an entire realm for her to explore that will be so much more stimulating than this meadow in Sicily. And so even though she could not see him, even though he was still wearing his helm of invisibility, he walked up to her and said, do you wish to have worshipers? Demeter has kept you from all of us for too long, goddess, and even though you are a woman, Demeter, your mother, still calls you maiden, still calls you Kore, and still dresses you in child's clothes. Is that right? The goddess Kore replied, that is right, and Demeter would never let me be called anything else and she would destroy anyone who gave me worshippers. Hades says, not if you destroy her shackles, the ones that he has placed upon your wrists. And he disappears from the meadow, reappearing, taking off his helm of invisibility and placing it on the desk of Zeus, who is lounging on Olympus. He told Zeus exactly what he saw in the meadow and an agreement between the brothers was reached that Hades would take Cory to the underworld and that he would offer to marry her to ensure her severance from Demeter and that her name would be changed from Cory, which just means maiden and child, to Persephone, the destroyer. He liked the name and he thought it was perfect considering her herself had, say, had said that anybody who would break her shackles, who would destroy her connection to Demeter, would be destroyed by Demeter. <laughs> and so he thought, well, I guess we'll have you do it yourself. 
The next day, with only the sun, Helios watching, Hades burst from the underworld in a horse-drawn carriage and lifted Kore into his cart. In that instant, her name was changed. Her shackles were broken, and she found herself suddenly within the gates of the underworld. At first, she was extremely shocked and was a little bit like, okay, if I was afraid of my meadow and, you know, trudging out into the world past it, this is really freaking scary that now I'm in the underworld and I don't really know what to do here. I don't know where this is. I don't know where my mother is. I don't know how to exist as not only a goddess, as not only a woman, but just a person. She didn't have her own identity, her own sense of legacy, her own sense of ambition beforehand. She just did what her mother told her to, to gather flowers in the endless summer of Sicily, play and bathe with her friends and her maidens, and wake up and do it all over again. But now, she had somebody that was very much interested in her and interested in the continuation of her legacy and of her fate. Persephone adjusted over the next few months to life in Hades' palace. She did accept his proposal, even though it was really scary from never seeing a man or actually another god in her entire life to be engaged to one. But she adjusted. She started to eat the food of the underworld and started to find her power and wisdom now that she had been liberated from the meadow. She had completely transformed. Demeter turned the entire world to ice in the aftermath of Persephone, the destroyer's destruction of her imprisonment. Zeus came to see Hades and Persephone in the Thonic realm and told them that the goddess's presence in the upper world is required, at least partially, so that mortals could grow food and survive now that Demeter is throwing snow and ice everywhere. A deal is reached that Persephone will return to the upper world for six months of the year and then come back to the underworld, creating the dark and the light halves of the year, respectively. Zeus thinks this is a perfect way to solve the problem, but Demeter is not happy. She's like, absolutely not. I want my daughter with me all the time, 24-7. This is not going to work. So Persephone gets picked up by Hermes and gets escorted out of the underworld into the realm of the upper world, the meadow where she had lived her entire life, and speaks to Demeter. Demeter asks her, Kore, have you eaten any food of the underworld? Have you otherwise created a link to the underworld that will make it so that you can never return to me fully again? And Persephone, not even thinking that she had eaten the pomegranates, the beautiful red garnet fruit of the underworld, said, yes, mom, yes, I did eat the fruit of the underworld. Does that mean I'm linked there forever? Demeter, in a fit of hysteria, wailing and banging her fists upon the ground, yells for Hades' name, screams it, screeches it, and bangs her fingers and her palms on the dirt. Hades appears, 
surrounded by shadow, surrounded by darkness, the way he likes to appear when he wants to be intimidating. He says, Demeter, why are you so intent on keeping Persephone in her shackles? Why are you so intent on keeping her imprisoned? Why won't you let her explore? Why won't you let her be a queen? Why won't you let her have worshippers in the underworld like I will provide her? Him and Demeter argued for a while, for a very, very long time on this issue. When finally Persephone said, enough, I am bound to the underworld by two things, by the pomegranate seeds, the seeds of wisdom that I ate that liberated me, and by another thing, by the love I have for Hades, the person who helped free me from my shackles, the god that was the first masculine person and deity that I had ever laid my eyes on, and I am in love with him, and by love and by wisdom, I shall return to him for half of the year, just like we agreed on with Zeus, so that the mortals may have their seasons, they may have their harvest, they may, they may have their food. So Demeter, you may have your time with me, and so I may return to the realm of the underworld, the realm of my husband, and the realm where I will have limitless and boundless worshipers and limitless space to explore the dark and incredible realms of the underworld. As she said this, she realized that that was the destroyer talking that was her new name, her new title, her new self taking over. And Hades smiled at her, smiled that she was able to utter those words and stand up and set that hard, firm boundary with her mother. Demeter, distraught, disappeared. And Hades and Persephone journeyed back into the underworld. Hades did keep his promise and gave her worshippers of not only one, but of two realms. The souls of the underworld loved her. They were so excited to finally have a queen, finally have someone that would host balls, that would host markets, and that would make the underworld a more lively place. But he also gave her worshippers in the upper world. In fact, almost everybody was so happy when the sun finally returned, when the fruits could finally grow in the upper world, that they asked, who is the goddess that is keeping us from this eternal winter? Persephone is her name. And they got on their knees and began to worship her then and there too. The goddess that brings spring, the goddess that brings the warmth, the goddess that brings the temperate weather to grow food and fruit and crops. And now Persephone is the queen of two realms, of two places, and she has boundless areas to wander and to explore. And that is the myth of Hades and Persephone. 
that is so near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my retelling of it. And remember, this myth, like all of the myths I will share in this show, are retellings that have been written by me. Some of these myths are written in ways to emphasize certain characters, certain details of the story, but I do try to be as accurate as possible when rewriting and recounting these myths. We have to remember that these are oral traditions, and so they often get changed depending on what the culture is or does or says. And so now, as we're living in a very patriarchal culture, the myth really emphasizes Hades and his, you know, his role in sort of taking her to the underworld, right? Um, And his role in saying exactly what she should and shouldn't do. And same with Zeus being part of the story. But there once was a time where this myth was much more about Persephone and Demeter and much more about that relationship having to be severed due to the lack of boundaries, due to the lack of Persephone, you know, getting to become a woman and getting to have a family and a legacy and a choice of her own. And I think that both of the versions of the story are really important at this day and age and in this time and have been extremely important to me as a woman growing up from, you know, a maiden, I suppose, to the person that I am now. It's so funny because I'm literally telling you this myth and talking about this on my 25th birthday. And this birthday for me has been so incredible and I'll tell you why. So for the last couple years, um, really since I was like 18, I guess, um, I have had this sort of difficult relationship with my mother. Um, She is a Virgo, and it's so funny because Virgo is the sign that corresponds to Demeter. Um, So she has this real Demeter type of presence. She has this real sort of like devouring mother energy we're Italian, she's Italian, and I think just in the Italian culture, the Mediterranean culture at large, there tends to be this sort of dominating feminine energy, which makes so much sense, right? I mean, you know, look at the goddesses from this realm and all that kind of stuff. But my mother and me always had this very sort of strange relationship um, that took into account a lot of family problems, a lot of general problems with my life and with her life. Um, There's like mental health stuff coming into play here. There's um, addiction coming into play here as well in the family structure. And she just always really wanted things for me and really had a very specific way that she wanted me to live my life. Um, She wasn't so much like a micromanager, like a lot of like Demeter mothers were. Um, She did let me have my freedom and sort of do the things that I wanted to do, but I think she had this big like structure of how my life would would play out and when I would go to the fringes of that, almost like Demeter in her meadow, she would sort of freak out a little bit and it wasn't until I finally just fucking left (laughs) and got out of there, right, and moved out that the grasp of her on me was loosened and I felt free, but I also realized all the ways that maybe she was trying to influence me, maybe she was trying to control me, maybe um, she was, you know, trying to... There's so many things I could go into with this story, right? Um, In this relationship. 
And once I was free, once I had left the meadow, I felt so much better and I went on like a cross-country road trip and it was so funny because literally just like Persephone did, I went to the farthest place I could possibly think of, right? I drove from Salem, Massachusetts where I live now and sort of where my family's from and I drove to southern Utah and we also went to Wyoming, we went to New Orleans on the way there, we were literally like zigzagging all across the United States. Um, we finally landed in southern Utah and I worked in a national park, um, me and my boyfriend Justin, he's a Sag son and such a traveler. and. I have a Sag Moon, so we're like match made in heaven, right? And so we went and worked in the national park system and just created this like little life away from everybody. I love the town so much in Southern Utah. It was called Springdale. Um, and then the big sort of like town with the Walmart nearby <laughs> that we would always go to um, was called Hurricane. Shout out if you are from or know what Hurricane Utah is. And I just remember driving around that area being like, nobody I know will ever come here. This is such an obscure place, such a weird location in Southern Utah in the middle of the desert. I know my mother is never going to find me here, right? And like she knew where I was, like it wasn't like I was like actually <clears throat> fleeing the scene. But I just felt such a relief and such a sense of adrenaline and just such happiness from this extremely bold action that I took to leave my mother's house and explore the world even if it took like living in my car for a couple months and then living in a national park but at the time I was just like this is this is what I need this is what I want and that is what I did um, and luckily I had my incredible boyfriend Justin there to help right um, and we just had so much freaking fun. And it's so funny because the canyon itself, we lived in Zion National Park. And so Zion Canyon literally is this big gash in the ground, right? There's the Virgin River that runs through it. And it was just such a profound place. It was such an incredible place that I connected with Hades with so much more. I would walk to work every morning when it was pitch black out and so freaking terrifying because there's like mountain lions this is like wild land you know <laughs> this is like preserved wildlife around like there's so many you know i mean you always hear of like the serial killers in national parks right i mean i wasn't i wasn't scared back then because and, I, and i'm not really even scared right now telling you the story because like i i don't know i just feel like i'm very protected and like i'm never really too worried about that kind of thing but I remember that the walk to work in the morning was pretty terrifying just objectively and it was like pitch black and I was just walking through the, the freaking wilderness it was crazy and I would pray to Hades every morning and I would leave him um, an offering in the area like I wouldn't leave him an offering in the middle of the park in the sense that I was just like leaving food places but I would pour out a little bit of coffee on the pavement once I got near the hotel um, like I wouldn't do it on the on the ground but I would do it just sort of like on the steps or on the pavement um, you know so that I wouldn't be like littering in a <laughs> national park but I would give him offerings this way and I would give him offerings of prayer and of praise and I would sing his Orphic hymn and I would do all sorts of things in the morning to sort of soothe my nerves walking to the hotel 
And then my job was literally to be like a concierge and I was helping people with their trips and I was helping them plan stuff, which was so much fun. But I was also acting as this hospitality role, which was super plutonic, right? And so it felt like I left my meadow drove across the country you know on this chair in my chariot (laughs) with my lover um and i was in the underworld i was in a gash in the ground in a wide canyon or actually it's not that wide it's pretty like narrow in the sense that the walls are super high and you can't get any wi-fi and it was very secluded right so i'm like in the ground in the underworld living and working in a hotel helping and receiving people, tourists, helping them with their stay. And it just felt like this perfect allegory for Persephone of me basically in the underworld now in a place that I knew that nobody in my life would ever come except for me and my boyfriend. And I just felt so free. And this is where I ended up starting my tarot reading business. <laughs> um, this is where I started, you know, being online more, which is funny, like why I, I was online in the most one of the most secluded places ever um, in a canyon where I could could not get any Wi-Fi. But what I would do is I would drive to the library and I would do my social media stuff there and that's when I started, you know, taking on clients and started taking on opportunities. I ended up being interviewed on a podcast, which is really helpful, and I started getting, you know, more and more clients. Um, that would lead me to say, you know what? I think that when I leave Zion, when we, me and Justin, go to our next journey, I think I'm just gonna pursue this full time. I think I'm ready for that. And Hades was like, oh yes, you are ready for that. He gave me such confirmation that. I wouldn't work another job ever again in my life after working in that hotel as a concierge. That was the last nine to five. That was the last, you know, this sort of, you know, paradigm experience. Um, And I was shifted into a new paradigm where I was my own boss and that this is my full-time job and it still is, right? (laughs) But it was just so amazing because just like Persephone, Hades gave me handed to me my fate, handed to me my legacy, handed to me a job, handed to me followers, you know, my audience, my clients. Shout out if you're one of those first clients (laughs) of mine. Um, And it's like the perfect allegory for Persephone, right? And so I wanted to start with this myth to introduce me and my story and my life. And I hope you really enjoyed it. I also want to leave you with something about this myth that I always find so striking and is so true across the board for everybody that I talk to about it is that no matter what Demeter was like for Persephone, no matter what that relationship was like, no matter what even in my life that relationship was like with my mother, It's like the second we, and I'm speaking collectively as Persephone (laughs) in a way, you know, the second we left, the second we were liberated from the meadow is when we realized a lot of the shit that had happened there. That's when we realized things about our Demeter 
that we hadn't recognized before, that we hadn't realized before. And even talking about the myth and, you know, overplaying it onto my life. Is that even a word? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like putting it over top my life. Um, that is what's most striking to me is what I learned about Demeter once I was gone. And I attribute that to Hades and I attribute that to what he represents and what he represents is that power, that handing of initiation, um, this creation of knowledge, right? Um, And that is exactly what the pomegranate represents is knowledge you know in the high priestess card in tarot we see in the rider Waite smith deck we see the tapestry behind the high priestess and she or, and there's pomegranates all over the tapestry and the symbol there is that pomegranate are these little tiny seeds of wisdom and the fruit represents wisdom and you know regardless of <laughs> where the pomegranate shows up in mythology it's sort of supposed to represent wisdom and love in a lot of ways too um and initiation and that kind of thing but that's exactly what persephone (coughs) receives is initiation and knowledge that that awakens her to things that she never realized about herself and about her mother and about where she grew up and all this kind of stuff it's absolutely fascinating And so just know that when you take that leap, when you leave, when you set that boundary, when you are removed out of the, you know, boiling pot that you're in right now, that simmer pot, right? (laughs) When you're the crab that leaps out of the bucket and you get out of the bucket, when you're Persephone and you leave the meadow to go to the underworld or wherever you go, you will know things that you never knew in the past about yourself. You will know things that you've never known in the past about the people in your life, you know, about people you love or people that you don't love, people that you like, people that you don't like. You will know so many more things about them and about yourself. And it's you giving yourself that knowledge it's do you know going through a a liberation moment and going through this this meadow you know (laughs) the leaving the meadow the leaving the meadow moment going into the underworld the catabasis whatever you call it is like giving yourself a degree it's like handing yourself a diploma of wow look at all this stuff i know about myself now that i never realized before and look at this objective view of my situation and this immediate quantum leap right i mean i feel like in the coaching and the witchcraft industry there's always this talk about quantum leap quantum manifesting what's happening here (laughs) and i feel like persephone took the first quantum leap right where she's just like okay suddenly i'm a new person i have a new name i don't know if you noticed when i was reading the myth or when i was you know performing the myth i (laughs) feel like i was getting into my performance a little bit there i um you know her name oscillates between core and persephone and core means maiden and persephone means the destroyer and um you know her name oscillates back and forth so it's like 
she gets a new name. She gets a new outlook on life. She gets a new home. She gets a husband. She gets a almost like a new sense of sexuality. She gets you know a new title a new new clothes she gets new everything she makes the original quantum leap and at first you know she's working on adjusting to it that's the that's the hard part about the smith that's the trauma with the smith because there definitely is right i mean it's a difficult situation across the board for everybody involved especially persephone most of all but that's where the adjust the adjustment is taking place is how do we adjust to this new reality how do we come into this new place that we're in how do we accept our title accept our new role and so for you the new role that you're entering in the new title the new thing that you're manifesting the new reality that you're leaping into you know it's going to take a little bit of time even if it manifests extremely quickly it's going to take a little bit of time to really settle into that role to build that confidence you know stability is having confidence over and over and over and over again and realizing all right well there's something to this you know this feels this feels kind of good this feels kind of stable and so that's what persephone represents that is the incredible energy that she is and that's why i wanted to tell this myth first so i hope you enjoyed my retelling of the hades and persephone myth and i'm really excited to continue this journey with you all on this podcast and i'm going to be posting um or dropping episodes i should say every monday and I just love Mondays. I'm one of those people. I'm I'm one of those Monday people. And so I figure what a better day to come out with a podcast than Monday. And I also feel like it's a great day to listen to a podcast, get your week started off right. I love it. So we'll be coming out on Mondays. Um, And also, a lot of people that are listening to this might know me might know who I am maybe you're coming from my other work but if you're finding me through this show hello my name is Angelica Crashy. I am a legacy witch I am a coach I am a all-around magician magical person and the whole thing that I do with my clients is I work on getting them into their legacy projects, getting them achieving, getting them actually making leaps and bounds on the things that mark their legacy. I am really, really passionate about this work because I believe that fate does favor the bold. And if you take actions on what it is, you know, you're you're fated to accomplish, what it is that you desire to accomplish, then you're going to win, right? You're going to win the game. You're going to not only be so motivated and so happy with what you've done and what you've created, but it just creates this eternal sense of peace, right? So I'm the Legacy Witch. I create transformation around actually doing that project that you have been wanting to do for years, right? For months, for years, for however long. I am the witch to make it happen alongside you through magic coaching astrology tarot 
and beyond. Um, so if you're interested in working one-on-one with me, I am taking clients from my Manifest Your Legacy program. It's a one-to-one program, three months together, and we are creating this legacy project, right? We are strategizing wherever you are in your project of how to get it completed and how to get it out there. Um, You can also browse my other offerings on my website or follow me on Instagram, the best place to find me on the internet these days other than here, I suppose. Um, And I am on Instagram at Angelica S. Kreshi. Angelica S. Kreshi. It'll be in the show notes as well. And I'm also on, or my website, I should say, is riverstickswitch.com. And of course, Riversticks, as in the river in the underworld, S-T-Y-X, (laughs) riverstickswitch.com. Right now, at the time I'm recording this, January 6th, my books are closed for single sessions, um, which means I'm only taking ongoing clients. um, And that's sort of... I don't know if that if that's the case when you're listening, but um, I typically open my books for single sessions in, in short bursts, and then I book up for a while, and then the only way to work with me is through group programs or ongoing one-to-one work. Anyway, I am so happy you tuned in. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and with the gods, and I will see you on Monday. Somebody see you later.